like those words, may we always choose joy. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ himself as he's talking to his followers. He says this in John 15, verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What do you think of when you hear that word joy? When you hear the words of Jesus talking to his followers and his, his wish, his hope, his prayer is for us to experience what? Overflowing joy. When you think about joy, I mean, let's look back. When's the last time you can remember in your life experiencing overflowing joy? What, what images come to your mind? What experiences come to mind? Now, I don't know about you, but um, in my house, when our kids were younger, there were a lot of things that we had a great time and we were happy and, uh, you know, th there was a lot of joy in our home. But there was one event that happened every year when my daughter Elizabeth was really young that we talked about all year and that we looked forward to every single year. If you're not aware, Alpha Pregnancy Care Center, uh, they host what is called the Daddy-Daughter Dance uh, every year. And when Elizabeth was younger, this was a huge event for Elizabeth and I. As a matter of fact, we got some pictures uh, from back in the day. I think we've both changed a little bit uh, since these pictures have been taken, but that's a picture of Elizabeth's first daddy-daughter dance with me. I got her the corsage. I dressed up in the coat and the tie. She had on her dress, and I remember talking to her uh, before that first dance that we went to and asking her this question. I said, baby, where do you want to go to eat? Daddy's going to take you anywhere you now, if that were you, what would you say? What would, what would be your favorite place to go eat? Elizabeth thought for a second. She got this big smile on her face. He said, Daddy, will you take me to Ryan's? <laughs> I said, baby, I will take you to Ryan's Steakhouse, and we will go there before we go to the daddy-daughter dance. And so we showed up, you know, dress and coat and tie, went into Ryan's, and uh, we stood out just a little bit. I didn't see anybody else. Not a lot of our other daddies and daughters were going to Ryan's Steakhouse for their, uh, their date night that night. But we sat down, and there were kind of people sitting around us, and this was like a magical place for Elizabeth. I mean, you could just go up and get whatever you wanted. And one of the things that she got was she got some corn on the cob, okay? And I, I, we're sitting there, and we're talking, and she's eating that corn on the cob. And I saw this look in her eyes, and she just kind of froze for a second, just like this. And she went, Daddy? And she pulled the corn down, and she was missing a tooth. <laughs> She'd lost her first tooth at Ryan's on Daddy-Daughter Date Night, and she didn't quite know what to do. Should I cry? Should I laugh? Should I be afraid? Should I what? She was, Daddy, oh, and that tooth was gone. And I just looked, and everybody around us kind of heard Elizabeth say, Daddy, like that. And I went, Elizabeth, looking around. Elizabeth, you lost your first tooth. And everybody went, yay! They clapped. It was an unbelievable evening. And then we go to the daddy-daughter dance. And when I picture this in my mind, and I had these memories in my mind, this is a picture of joy. Dads who are just trying to remember what to do just trying to make it through this dance, right? I mean, we, we're putting our best moves out there, but our daughters, all of these little girls who are dancing their hearts out with unbridled joy. What do you think about when you think about overflowing joy? You know, joy is something 
that God wants you to experience in your life. But there's a big difference in what we may see as bringing us joy and the actual biblical picture of what joy actually is. And so that's what I want us to do today. I want us to focus on these words of Jesus. I want us to focus on John chapter 15, verse 11. We're going to look at that, and then we're going to kind of back up, and we're going to look at the context leading up to this passage where God shows us how we are to experience joy, that biblical picture of joy. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 11. That's where we're going to start this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one provided for you under that seat uh, in front of you there. And look, if you don't own a Bible, just take one of those with you as our gift to you today, okay? Also, let me introduce myself. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time with us, man, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, we encourage everybody to fill out that digital connect card that you have access to. You can access that on your uh, listening guide there through that QR code. Or if you're already on that digital listening guide, just click on that link right at the top of that that says digital connect card. We would love it if you would fill that out so that we can connect with you and uh, just know that you're here with us today. And also be praying for you this week if you feel led to share a prayer request in that form, okay? John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What is the biblical picture of overflowing joy? Well, I think you have to look and ask the question of what is Jesus talking about here? I mean, right at the beginning, he says this, I have told you these things. Well, what things are we talking about? So we have to back up and we have to look at the very beginning of this conversation that he's having with his followers. And I think it's really interesting to see the context of what's going on here. Because this conversation between Jesus and his disciples actually starts way back in John chapter 13. And when you start in John chapter 13 verse 1 and you start reading through the chapters that come after, what you're going to see is that Jesus makes this statement to his disciples at the Last Supper. He is talking about overflowing joy on the night before he is to be arrested, tried, crucified, killed, buried, and then on the third day, what? He's going to rise again by the power of the resurrection. So let's back up and let's look at what is the biblical picture of joy. Let's go to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, because I think there's three components of biblical joy that we need to look at. And the first one is seen in John 14, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I, uh, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. The first thing that we need to see about the biblical picture of joy is that God the Father is the source of joy. God the Father is the source of joy. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And let me ask you, do you think Jesus' heart was heavy in this moment? Do you think Jesus had anything for his heart to be troubled about in this moment? And yet he's encouraging his followers, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. 
all of our trust, all of our faith, all of who we are is to be placed in God and in God alone. And when we're talking about the biblical picture of joy, we need to understand that God is the source of all joy. This is not a concept that Marie Kondo came up with. You know, go through your closet and uh, pick things up and separate them out, and if it sparks joy, keep it, and if it doesn't, send it off to somewhere else, right? I mean, this is not the biblical picture of joy. There's things that make us happy. There's seasons of life that we go through that are good, but we're talking the joy of Jesus Christ, and there's only one place where we find that, and that is in God alone. And if God is the source of joy, how much joy is that? It is infinite joy, unbounded joy, more joy than we could ever imagine being able to handle. And what Jesus is saying is, I've told you these things so that you can experience overflowing joy. There's a second component to the biblical picture of joy, and it's this. Not only that Jesus the Father is the source, but that, G uh, that God the Father is the source, but that Jesus the Son is the giver. He is the one that gives us joy. Chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Jesus answering Thomas, because after he said, uh, after Jesus said, uh, when everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said, what? We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? He's thinking pretty concrete here. He's thinking pretty literally, isn't he? But Jesus answers. Look at verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God the Father is the source of all joy. Jesus the Son is the giver of joy. How did Jesus give us the joy of God himself? By dying on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, by being buried in a grave and raised on the third day, so that we can be forgiven of those sins and have a relationship with God the Father. He is the giver of joy. And when Jesus is the giver of biblical joy, how much joy does he want you to experience? All of it. That infinite, unbounded, unimaginable, overflowing joy. Jesus wants you to experience all of that. How much of the grace of God does he want you to experience all of it how much of the love the joy the mercy of God does he want you to experience Jesus is a generous giver and there's a third component of the biblical picture of joy and it's this not only is God the father the source Jesus the son is the giver but we have to understand and see that the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy in our lives the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy in our lives look at uh, ch chapter 14 of John verses 16 and 17 the same conversation he goes on to say and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth God is the source Jesus is the giver and the Holy Spirit is the one who produces the fruit of of joy in our lives what is it that galatians chapter 5 verse 22 reminds us of teaches us tells us what is the work of the holy spirit the fruit of the holy spirit is this but the holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in our love in our lives love joy 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you are singing the song in your head right now? There is no law against these things. God is the source. Jesus is the giver. And the Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit of joy in our lives. And when you hear that, when you hear the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, doesn't that make you want to sign up for that kind of joy? I mean, who doesn't want to experience joy? Who doesn't want to have this kind of life? Who doesn't want to have a relationship connected with the Father who is the giver of joy through His Son and the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit of joy over and over and over again in our life? I mean, sign me up. But here's the thing. You can't just jump to joy. You can't just jump to it. It's not something that you just go out and get. It's not something to be had. Joy is built. You can't just jump to joy until there's been some heart work that's been done. In other words, God wants to take your heart, and he wants to take your life, and he wants to do a big work with that. Now, what does that look like? What does it mean? What kind of heart work does God want to do? Let's go on to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. You see how we're kind of leading up to this, to what Jesus is talking about, about how we build joy in our life. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, in this same conversation with his disciples, he says this, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. What's the first thing he says in that passage? I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. The first kind of work that the Lord wants to do in your heart is to give you a heart for the Lord himself. To give you a heart for the Lord. Now look, I know that may sound simple to a lot of us in this room today. Well, of course, of course I need to believe in God. Of course I need to have a heart for the Lord. But that's not always easy to live out every single day of our life, is it? When we talk about actually living as if we have a heart for the Lord, because our heart gets distracted, doesn't it? Our heart gets confused. Our heart gets pointed in different directions. The worries of this world. The fear of what is to come, the residue of anxiety uh, left over from something that's happened in the past. There is a lot that goes on that can distract our hearts away from the Lord. And what God wants us to do is to have a heart for Him. I think this is one of the most important things that anybody walking on the face of the earth can know and understand. It's to have a heart for God, to believe that He is there. There is a God the one true God. He is real. He created you in his own image, and he loves you deeply. And that's the second thing that we need to see here. Not only do we need to have a heart for the Lord, but the next thing is we need to have a heart given to Jesus. We need to have a heart given to Jesus. Chapter 15, verse 4, as we continue to read, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Remain in me. Maybe you learned it like this. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. This is relational language. 
This is a relationship with Jesus Christ where we remain in Him through faith. We remain in Him through trusting Him. We remain in Him by following Him. We remain in Him and He remains in us. We have a heart for the Lord. We need to have a heart given to Jesus. In other words, let's talk about it like this. Have you ever sensed God calling you? You know that He's there. You know that God is real. You know that He knows you and He created you. And you sense Him working in your life. You sense Him working in your heart. It could be through circumstances. It could be through people. It could be... I mean, God uses so many ways to reach us through His Word, through His church. But ultimately, it's all a work of the Spirit of God drawing us to Him. And us hearing those words of Jesus, come follow me. And us coming to the knowledge that we know that we're sinners. And because we're sinners, we've separated ourselves from God. He didn't turn His back. We turned our back on Him. And that without Jesus, we are dead in our sins. We come to that place where we recognize and we repent of that sin. And we call out to Christ to forgive us of all of our sins. We make a commitment to follow him for the rest of our lives. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Abide in me, and I will abide in you. This is the relationship part of what we're talking about here. We need to have a heart for the Lord. We need to have a heart given to Jesus. And then finally, chapter 15, verses 9 through 11, we need to have a heart shaped by the Spirit. You see, that first step of stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's just that. It's the beginning of a relationship. And the Holy Spirit leads us as we continue to grow in Christ. Look at verse. Um, look at verses 9 through 11 of chapter 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Do you realize right here right now in this very moment that you are deeply loved by the creator of this universe who created you for the purpose of being in relationship with him how much does jesus love the father i have loved you even as the father has loved me remain in my love how much does the father love his son jesus that's the kind of love that god has for you. And when you step into that, and you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to shape you, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Who is it that gives us the ability, that spurs us on, that gives us those nudges to continually follow the commands of Jesus Christ? It's the Holy Spirit himself. What is it that he said about the Spirit earlier? He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all so do you have a heart for the Lord? Do you have a heart given to Jesus? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to shape your heart? This is the kind of heart work that God wants you to do in order to build joy into your life. And look, your life can look so much different 
I mean, what can overflowing joy actually look like in your life? I mean, you know, it's crazy about how when you come to Christ, when you step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, how so many times the, the temptation is to think that, you know, God's going to wave this magic wand over our life and all of the bad circumstances are going to go away, right? That everything's just going to change, and that just doesn't happen. But the truth and the reality is this. When you know that God is with you, when you know that you are with God, you are abiding in Him and He is abiding in you, all of a sudden you see everything differently. Your heart is oriented toward the Lord and His purposes, and that's where your peace is. That's where your joy is. That's where your faith is. That's where you see who Jesus is and you see how he loves you. But there's some things that happen in the life that is experiencing overflowing joy. And I would say these three things. Number one, what your life can look like when, it's, when you're experiencing this overflowing joy. The first thing is this, overflowing obedience. Overflowing obedience. Acts chapter 2, Philip one of the disciples, after the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of Christ, uh, finds himself in the presence of, quite suddenly, in the presence of an Ethiopian eunuch. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah and can't figure out what he's reading. Now, listen to what happens as Philip starts to interact with this Ethiopian eunuch. He says this, tell me, uh, the eunuch says to Philip, Tell, verse 34 of Acts chapter 8. Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Now let's back up and let's read the words that this Ethiopian eunuch was just reading. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And can you imagine being Philip in that moment? Can you imagine what Philip's heart began to feel and he began to... Because he knew, oh, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about someone else. And he's talking about who? Look at what Philip says next to him next to the Ethiopian eunuch. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. You see, this is one of the first things that happens when you're experiencing the overflowing joy of Jesus Christ in your life. You just want to talk about him. You just want to take every opportunity you can to tell others about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life but there's something else look at the next thing that happens verse 36 says they rode along they came to some water and the eunuch said look there's some water why can't i be baptized he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and philip baptized him the first act of obedience in the life of a believer is to follow jesus example of baptism if jesus was baptized in the jordan to fulfill his father's will Shouldn't we also be baptized just like Jesus was? Now, look, here's the, here's the good news. You don't have to go to the Jordan River, right? I mean, the Ethiopian eunuch was not at the Jordan River. He just was like, there's water. Can I be baptized right now? Why can't I? Do you see this overflowing joy that he's, that he's uh, living in and he's acting out of? And look, if you haven't taken that step, if you're a believer and you've asked Jesus Christ into your life, you've given him your heart, 
but you haven't taken that step of obedience of being baptized, what's, what's stopping you? We're ready. Look, there's water. Why can't you be baptized today? We're ready. We'll baptize you. Look, we're going to have baptisms in all of our Christmas services. We would love for you, if you haven't been baptized, to be baptized just like Jesus was. And you may be sitting there and you're like, yeah, I've thought about that before, but i got some reasons. It's kind of weird. What's that bathtub doing up in the church? I don't even know. i got to get like in the, wa- like in, in the water. Am I going to get like, wet in front of everybody? I, what's, you know, this, is, this is strange. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we can kind of shy away from that, right? But listen, I have never seen a single person walk through these waters of baptism, get back up to the top step, and say, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Do you know what waits for them on the other side of that experience? Joy. Joy. Have you taken that step? Have you done that? I would encourage you, do that. We'd love to talk to you about it today. Look, the third thing is this, overflowing obedience. Our second thing is this, overflowing obedience. Second thing is also overflowing generosity. What can overflowing joy look like in your life? Overflowing generosity. Listen to how Paul describes the Macedonian believers as he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. He says this, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Does that sound like the setup for joy to you? (laughs) Certainly not for happiness, but maybe joy. Look at what he continues to say. But they are also filled with an abundant joy, an overflowing joy, which has overflowed into what? Rich generosity. Look, overflowing joy in our lives gives us the perspective that we are God's. My heart is given to the Lord. My life is given to the Lord. Everything I have is God's. God, use me and everything I have for your kingdom for your work, for your will. And there are a lot of ways that we have to be generous. Just like Jesus was generous. What kind of giver was Jesus? Extremely generous. We've got an opportunity today. After this sermon, we're going to take up our missions offering. We get really excited about this. We started talking about it way back in November. November, first Sunday in November. Getting people ready because everything that we give as a church today, we say this all the time, you don't give to new work, you give through new work. Everything we give to this offering is going to be used for kingdom work around the world. Here in Hopkinsville, state of Kentucky, and internationally all over the world. Every penny that we give. And there is great joy in being a part of something like that. There is great joy in being generous and being giving and being a part of God's work. Third thing is this. Overflowing obedience, overflowing generosity, and then finally, overflowing service. What can your life look like if it's filled with overflowing joy, overflowing service. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus again speaking to his disciples. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I mean, if we go back to that passage in John that we were talking about, right in chapter 13 where it starts, what is the first thing that we see Jesus doing at the Last Supper? Washing the disciples' feet. Overflowing generosity. Overflowing obedience. Overflowing 
service. Have you found your place of service in kingdom work? Let me be a little more practical because I know that's kind of churchy language. Have you found the place of blessing right here at New Work Fellowship that God has for you? Now, here's what I mean by the place of blessing. He has saved you, redeemed you, gifted you, and called you. That's who we are as believers. And he has given us something to do in the local body of the church in order to be a part of his work. Listen, if you're curious about that and you want to look at the opportunity to step into that, we've got our next steps area out here and there's going to be people out there today after the service. We can show you a long list of ways that you can serve right here at New Work Fellowship. And while again, I would say there's probably some of us that are like, I don't know about that. Well, I guarantee you there's an opportunity there that you will see not as a chore or a drudgery, but as a blessing because it matches who God's created you to be. Don't miss out. Step into that. Be a part of the work that God is doing in and through you and in and through his church. So if we understand what the biblical picture of joy is, and we understand that it's something that's built. You can't just jump to joy. In other words, uh, joy is something that's built in our lives. You can experience joy. You can have joyful things that go on in your life, but, uh, but it's something that God builds. And we know what a life overflowing with joy looks like. I think the last thing that we need to understand is this. Joy comes at the end of a journey. Joy comes at the end of a journey. In other words, we can experience the joy of God, the joy of Christ right now, but when we look to the future, there's a joy that's coming that we can't imagine. Look, when I was at that daddy-daughter dance with Elizabeth and we were having a blast and it was just this joyous occasion, there was another father and another daughter that were there at the same time, at the same dance. And part of this dance, part of what they do is they take a time during the dance where they have the fathers talk to the daughters and they actually lead the fathers through a vow or a promise to pray for their daughters. And there's some different things that they pray. They pray for their salvation. They pray for their future spouse. They pray for their relationship relationship with Christ. And Michael Stokes and Olivia Stokes were at one of these same daddy-daughter dances. My daughter Elizabeth is here. That's why I keep looking over here. Hey, honey. <laughs> She's not feeling awkward at all right now. Uh, <laughs> but Michael and Olivia were there, and they went through this same thing. And, you know, here's the thing about daddy-daughter dances. When the girls are little, you know what eventually those turn into? Hopefully, father of the bride dances and so i want you to look at a picture an example of what i would got to experience as joy coming at the end of a journey watch this video the number one greatest thing that a dad can do for his daughter is pray for them pray for them now for who their husband is going to be. It goes by in the blink of an eye. So whenever we got ready to read our vow, I got down on one knee. I took her little hand and I looked her dead in the eyes and I, I made a vow to her that I would pray for who her future husband was going to be. Day in and day out, year in and year out, I did that. And now I get to see that prayer answered. Because I prayed for a, a man of God to be her husband. I prayed for a man that would love her, adore her, cherish her, and protect her. And that prayer has been answered tonight. 
me tell you something. Michael gave that speech. And when that music started, and he and Olivia embraced. Y'all, I'm telling you right now, I about had a come apart. I was like, I got to get under this table. I can't handle this. And I wasn't in, I wasn't the only one. There was nobody in that room that did not feel, guess what it was? Overflowing joy at the end of a journey where there was a relationship formed, where there was a promise made that was leading to a covenant. And at the end of that journey, that part of that journey, there was overflowing joy. When they stepped into that dance, the tears were flowing. And because of what was happening in that relationship between Michael and Olivia, it overflowed into everybody in the room. You had to be a hard-hearted person. A hard-hearted person to not feel that and be affected by that. And there's only one way that I can explain that. That is a small sliver of the joy of God himself. A small picture of the joy that Jesus was talking about. This overflowing joy. And every moment of our life that we experience things like that, it points us to something else. It points us to a day when there's another wedding, there's another wedding feast coming, there's another dance that's going to happen because Jesus came and he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and he rose from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of God and guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back for us. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 says this, John, the same one that wrote the gospel that we were just reading from, writing at the end of his life, uh, talking about the vision of heaven that he had, says this, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Do you know what that word rejoice? Joyce looks like it looks like a father dancing over their children let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself she's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who were invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. The true words from God to, to you today through his son Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, and through his very word is this. You're invited. Come to the table. Come to the dance. Come to the feast. Do you know my son Jesus in whom I am well pleased? Listen to him, and when we listen to Jesus, we'll hear these words, come follow me. Have you done that? Have you given your life to Jesus today? Will you do it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the day you've given us and the time we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we pray that today, that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would call out to you for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would repent of their sins and that they would promise and make a commitment to follow Jesus because we know that you fill that promise with your love and your grace and your forgiveness and God for those of us who know you are in relationship with Christ yet our hearts have been distracted by the worries 
of this world, the busyness of this life. We pray that you would draw us to you. Help us to abide in you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name.